Hello, everyone. Um, there comes a time in every show's history that we really just need to take a long, hard look at what we've been doing and realize that um, we just have to make an apology to you guys as the listeners. Um, this is a long time coming, but we would just like to apologize uh, for the fact that we just keep having really bad cold openings without much thought into them. Um just full disclosure um we don't we forget that we do that every time until like five seconds before we go live that's um, true and uh we just need to ask for your forgiveness for uh the poor quality of um those openings and the fact that most of the time they're just not funny yeah so um this is pretty much us repenting yeah yeah you could sin, say guess, you could say yeah. that's what it is yeah yeah what a, what a coincidence there. It seems to be similar to a topic we're uh, talking about. Hold up there. Was that, uh, was that just a good cold opening then? Was was that just... Did we succeed? Oh my All right. <laughs> Apology redacted. <laughs> we unrepent of our sins. Oh my gosh. Don't do that, kids. <laughs> we're live with a Christian artist. This is the Christian artist. That's how I say that. And my name is Caleb. Uh, wait a second. No, I didn't do that right either. Okay, now that's what we need to apologize for. I need to I need to apologize and repent of that horrible opening. Just every part of that opening was just horrendous. So, this is the Christian artist honoring Christ through creativity. My name is Caleb. My name is Connor. And my name is Carly. And uh, we're here. We're here to talk about soteriology once more because you know it turns out that we just have so many thoughts about so many things that we just can't get through it all in one episode so that's why we've been doing multiple multiple episodes here and of course no okay everything's fine that's good there's been a thing go Go ahead. ahead I was just gonna say, there's there's been a thing recently where so to to not have the music overpower me when I'm trying to listen to you guys and the music is going uh on the like countdown, I usually like turn down OBS's volume, but that means that sometimes I forget to turn it back, and if that's the case, then you guys are like really quiet compared to me. And I thought that was the case, but it wasn't, and so it's all good. We're fine. That also, should I be recording? Nope. Okay, cool. I still haven't figured out how to fix my mic setup, so... <laughs> Nifty. Uh, not like I've had time to do that, so once I have time, I'll be able to figure that out. Uh, but yes, anyway, so all of that to say, um, we're bad at this, um, and <laughs> but we're here anyway, um, and we're going to talk about soteriology. So last time we left off, I believe we finished talking about faith. Um, do we have any other thoughts? Last thoughts on faith? that like came to your mind the week like last week and you needed to talk about or do you want to move on to repentance was there something i'm just i'm asking yeah. as soon as you said that i was like oh maybe there was something i don't i don't remember if there was i just <laughs> felt like now would be the time yeah i don't think so no okay <laughs> so what is repentance let's talk about this so um i've been listening to a bunch of uh uh, what's it called? Um, the, the Dividing Line recently. Um, yeah. James White's. I don't want to say podcast. It's it is it's basically just a podcast, but he wouldn't call it a podcast because he's old and he doesn't call things podcasts. Um, <laughs> that's not a that's that's not a dig <laughs> on James White. Um, 
but but yeah it's like a program where he talks about um apologetics alpha omega omega ministries is his apologetics ministry and he goes in and talks about various like uh, apologetics things like how to defend the faith uh apologia you know as they say um and uh I was listening to one of those. He was talking to, or he was, he was, him and Jeff Durbin were uh, critiquing independent, independent fundamentalist Baptists. Um, you know these people. I'm sure you have. Maybe if you haven't heard that term before, um, they're KJV only. Um, they hate Calvinism, and they uh, they think that uh, you do not need to repent to be saved. Um, there's this thing called lordship salvation, which they we we just take for granted that's that's what we believe but uh, everybody else or not everybody else but the IFBs uh the intimate, independent fundamentalist baptists believe that that is heresy that's to make to to require making Jesus lord of your life uh is is uh destroying the gospel so we need to talk about this because obviously that's totally wrong um but so what is repentance and why is it uh part of the salvation process why is it necessary so there's a couple things that I would say, Yeah. but this could go on for like 10 minutes. So Carla, yeah. do you have any yeah. thoughts off the bat? Um, I was just <laughs> going to say the like the most simple definition of repentance that I can think of is to change one's mind or to mm-hmm. turn mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. and like as, as complex. <laughs> wow. I got my legs <laughs> cord. That didn't work. I tried turning around, guys. Well, audio listeners didn't even No, get that. they didn't. Um, my cord got stuck <laughs> in my chair. I didn't do a very good job of repenting. <laughs> um, but, like, as as complex as um, the idea of repentance can get within, like, doctrine and, like, how, how we perceive it to, like, happen, like, it's really that simple. It's like, you change your mind, you decide to do something different. Right. Right, and I think most of the problem comes when when people, like the reason that we have to make it this complicated issue is because there's so many people that will say, well, you don't have to repent, or we have so many yeah. false converts um, that we have to explain repentance to, mm-hmm. and they're like, well, of course I've repented, and then we're like, but you're still in sin, like you're still just willingly participating in sin, and you have no problem with that. And so that's, I think that's where the issue comes, but yeah, at the, at the very base definition, it's, it's to turn, to change one's mind, to turn away from sin. So yeah. Yeah. And that's why that's important. So there like, right. Like we have, there are people who believe that sanctification, that like not sinning and like changing your life is a thing only for like super christians and if you're a regular christian then it's fine you just gotta mentally assent to jesus's salvation and and there you go you got your ticket punch to to heaven and uh you got your get out of hell free card and you're good to go uh you know you don't have to worry about all this repentance and sanctification stuff despite all of the numerous scriptural evidence we have that this is a necessary part of the salvation process not to say that good works earn your salvation, but rather salvation is accompanied by good works done by a heart that is changed. Uh, it's evidence that you are truly saved. So, um, yeah, right. So we, we've talked about predestination, election, calling, and regeneration, and faith. 
right? So we talked about um, when we talked about regeneration, we made the point that um, right, the Bible is very clear that the beginning of the salvation process in our own hearts, right after after we've been called by the gospel and then drawn by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit changes our hearts. So we become a new person. It says in Ezekiel um, that God takes out the heart of stone and uh, mm-hmm. puts in it a heart of flesh. And not only does he create a create us as a new person, right, who, who desires God, but we also have the law written on our hearts. So we mm-hmm. have um, a new desire to follow God's commandments. And that starts with, it has to start with a repudiation, a changing of one's sin lifestyle right so we have to reject sin as a fundamental part of who we are um we were just going through romans 6 in our uh bible study um uh, that connor and i and, and some other friends of ours are doing um and this is one of the main points in romans 6 right the idea that we we cannot carry around the old man anymore we have to get rid of the old man we have to die to ourselves and become this new person to 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 fully uh you know, repent of that old person and not go back to it. Um, and so, right, repentance is a part of that, this idea that you're you're uh, asking for forgiveness of God and you are, um, uh, what's the word? Um, you are uh, not promising. There's, there's another word here. You're committing. You're committing to turning away from sin, right? You don't want to turn back to it. You want to go, you don't want to go back to it. You want to, you don't want to live a lifestyle of sin, right? So in first John talks a lot about the difference between a person that is saved and a person who is not saved, a person who walks in the spirit and a person who walks in the flesh. We want to be people who walk in the spirit, who do the good things that God has prepared in advance for us to do as Ephesians 2.10 says, and not be the kind of person that goes back to our old ways, right? We want to die to ourselves. We want to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. And that requires repentance. Any other thoughts on that guys? Any, any verses maybe, or, well, first of all, Romans six, one. Yep. Um, uh, oh man, now I can't remember it. Um, shall we sin that grace may abound? May it never be. How, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Then also Luke nine sixty two. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. There's also a verse that talks about, um, keeping fruit um of repentance well i'll google that one real quick keeping with the fruit of repentance i think is the phrase Mm -hmm. and so um this this is kind of like the first stage of what of sanctification right like so Sanctification is this continued process of repentance and and dying to sin, to desire the things of Christ and to follow after those things. Um, repentance is that first step, right? It's this commitment to do so, the commitment to sanctification, this commitment to turning away from your sin and turning to Christ. Um, this is like the first um, like turning away from that you do. And the idea is that you would continue to turn away from sin throughout your entire life. Um, but it's also important, right? So we, we want to make clear that um, repentance is a thing we do, right? It's, it's an actual action that we have to take. We don't just sit around and then like, God's going to just make us repent, right? Like that's, or that's repent not, for us. or repent for, yeah, exactly. Or repent for us. But rather this is definitely an action that we have to take. But as we said, when we talked about regeneration, um, it's only made possible 
by the fact that God has regenerated us, that God has made us a new person. And so this new person will want to repent and that desire comes from God. And so it says in, in elsewhere in scripture, and let me, let me find the direct um, passage here. Um, uh, but even repentance is a gift, um, right? It says in it's an Acts. Right, it, it's an X somewhere. I think it's so. What I just saw was Second Timothy. Yeah, Second Timothy two twenty four through twenty six. Oh, really? Um, which is which says, "Come on." <laughs> okay, this isn't bringing up two twenty four. Hmm. <laughs> I have it if you want me to just read it. Uh, here, I got it. Yeah, so uh, 224. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to yeah. do his will. Right? So even repentance is a gift. But And so both of these things work together, right? As always, um, this is an actual action that we have to take. But... The idea is that God is still the ultimate cause of this, right? So just as he is the ultimate cause of everything, he's the ultimate cause of our faith and our repentance. Um, so as we talked about last time, right, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, we can also rightly apply that same uh, idea to repentance, right? Jesus, um, you know, the, the triune God is gifting us repentance through regeneration, right? Through this regeneration of the Holy Spirit and drawing us to himself and, and, and helping us and uh, enabling us to repent of our sins. Um, yeah. Jeff Durbin rightly says, if you do not come to Christ to die, do not come. Yeah. And uh, Luke 14 is just uh, like verses 25 through 35 is just talking about t uh, counting the cost, counting yeah. the cost of what it means to be a disciple of him. Yeah. And uh, I think that is so, so important to, to preach to people when you preach them the gospel is um, if we, when we have this like, like global call of like everybody come to Jesus um, you look at the life of Jesus and you see that that's not what he did. And so I think that's very important to understand in evangelism is he turned to people and was like, Whoa, 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 slow your roll. You know, if you don't come to die, don't come. Yeah. And he was like, you know, if anybody comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be to my disciple. Mm -hmm. Another time talked about, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everybody got confused and walked away. And he was, he was fine with that. That was like his purpose in doing that is to get the crowds, you know, away from him because he knew what was in the heart of man. So I think that's important in, in uh, evangelism is to be like, you know, you don't just come to Christ and you get your ticket punched and you're all good. You come to Christ to totally change your life. Mm -hmm. uh, something that I think is really important, um, especially in a Christian's life of examining uh, their faith, if they're testing their faith, is to see how sinful do you think you are? And, and to just ask yourself that of like, do I how do I, how do I think I am? Am I, am I pretty good? 
in my life? Do I acknowledge my sin when, when I do something wrong? Do I try to get out of it? Or do I, am I just like, Oh, wow. Yeah. I really screwed up. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we have that like crippling shame that we want to stay away from. And yet if you're a Christian, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you can be totally fine and saying, Oh, wow. Yeah. I really blew it. And, you know, we can be okay with saying that and showing people that because we're not trying to look perfect on the outside. We're not trying to make ourselves look like we're all that great because that's not the point of, of being a Christian. The point is to make God look great. And that includes sinning and repenting. And I think that's really important um, because like in first John, it says, if you say that you have no sin, the truth is not in you. Mm-hmm. So to acknowledge the fact that you are definitely a sinner. And even if you're a Christian, you're going to continue in sin. Um, you're going to continue sinning. I should say not continue yeah sin yeah is is how the bible would describe that mm-hmm. um is how the bible would work that I and yeah say. so what's the difference between those two things connor i think it might be confusing for someone who's so familiar um with the idea i like to go to first corinthians 6 to explain this idea and give me a few seconds here Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And if you you bring that to 1 John as well, and it, it even says in there that, you know, if you're a Christian, you do not keep on sinning. Um, and yet again, it says like the verse you're just talking about, um, if you say that you have no sin, the truth is not in you. So there is an absolute admittance, uh, admittance, admittance of sin. Is that how am I saying that right? Admittance. Yeah. Admittance. It, it sounds weird. Doesn't it? It does sound weird. I don't know. Admitted, I'm not sure why. It's an obvious admittance. Is that of an sin. actual word? Yep. No, that's a word. Yep. And so you're, you're agreeing with God that you're evil. You're aligning your thoughts and your mind with God. And saying, yeah, I'm, I'm evil. And then you're repenting of your sin and turning from your sin. You have the righteousness of Christ um, to protect you from the wrath of God. And then along with, along with that, the Holy Spirit is changing your heart. And you're no longer identified by those sins because that's not your true desire anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that's one of the main things. It's, it's, it's a heart change. You're still going to, to sin. You're still going to struggle with the flesh but you're no longer identified with those things. And you'll hate those things. Yeah. And you'll Mm -hmm. hate those things. I think that's honestly one of the the main, the main differences um, is a actual true hatred of sin and love of Christ. Right. Mm -hmm. Obviously anyone can have an ungodly sorrow over sin. Right. And like, you know, basically hate the, the consequences of sin, hate the shame that comes from sin, but we're not really hating sin. We're hating its consequences. If we, if we didn't have those consequences, we would be fine with getting away from it, but it's because we feel bad. Right. But a person who's truly changed by Christ and and has repented will hate his sin because he loves Christ. Right. And Mm -hmm. he knows that it grieves Christ for him to sin, uh, in, you know, even as a Christian. Um, and so they'll, they'll, you know, a person will hate that, um, and, and constantly strive to, to go to Christ instead. Um, Paul Washer very clearly describes it as this is 
the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian in terms of repentance. And I think, I honestly think the greatest fruit of someone's life is the fact that they hate sin. Um, I think, I think that's the number one thing to look for, especially if you're in your own life of whether or not you're a Christian. If you're, you've come to a point where you've sinned and you're trying to follow the command in second Corinthians 13, five to test yourself, to see whether you're in the faith. I think seeing whether or not you repent is the number one sign. Um, he describes it like this. Um, a husband is, uh, you know, getting ready for work one morning and things are just not going his way and he's struggling and he's getting, he's getting angry. And, uh, um, you know, he, he like woke up late, uh, you know, certain things just going wrong and annoying him and he's getting angry. He's getting irritated. And then right before he goes to the door, he's already late. And his wife calmly asks him, honey, will you take out the trash before you go? And he freaks out, right? He yells at his wife. Um, he's, he's angry with her. Like, I can't believe you would ask me to do that. I'm already late. Can't you see that, you know, whatever, whatever. And then he walks out the door and goes to work. Okay. That's, that's a non-Christian. A Christian wakes up late for work. Uh, you know, things are not going right. Uh, He's, he's struggling. He's, he's getting irritated. He's getting angry. You know, nothing is going his way. And his wife calmly asks him, honey, will you take out the trash before you leave? And he's like, I can't believe you would do that. I, like, I can't believe you would ask me, you know, to, to do that. And I'm so angry and, you know, I'm about to go to work and can't you see all this stuff is going on? And he walks out the door. The Christian walks out the door and immediately regrets his action and immediately is like, oh, why in the world did I just do that? I cannot believe that I, I just did that. And that's the difference. And right. the Christian is going to want to make it right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The difference isn't that the Christian will never do that. It's right. that yeah. when they do that, they will repent. It's not if you sin, it's when you sin and what you do with it. Yep. That's a sign of genuine repentance. And, and But once again, I would really just like to emphasize the fact that us as Christians should not try to hide sin the easiest way to kill sin is to expose it to the light and just be like yo this is what i do and um a really a really key way to figure out if something is sin or not is to ask yourself if you would do it in public and if you wouldn't do it in public then you probably shouldn't do it mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you shouldn't take a shower because <laughs> you wouldn't do that in public but you get the point I mean, um, I think I think a good thing for for a Christian, maybe like even more specifically, is if 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 uh, the resurrected Christ was literally standing right next to you physically, would you still do it? Right. And if you would, then just don't do it, right? Like, because he's there spiritually, <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, and and then once again, just being like, man, if you do not see the exceedingly sinful human being that you are, then you are not reading your Bible enough. If you do not mourn over the sin that remains in you, you're not reading your Bible enough. You don't understand the truth about who you are, even in Christ, that you are a horrible, evil human being. And I think that's very important to understand for us as Christians, as we go about our Christian walk, is to always remember, yeah, I'm pretty much the worst. And uh, Charles Spurgeon has a quote. No, and I mean that. I no, think I it's very important. Uh, Charles Spurgeon has a quote. Um, if, if, uh, if a man insults you, do not be angry with him for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. 
And just to remember that like, you know, if somebody is angry at you, somebody is mad at you, somebody yells at you, somebody is harsh with you and you're like, wow, what a jerk. And you get defensive. You should pretty much just stop, realize and think of, wow, actually he doesn't even know half the horrible things that I've done. Probably doesn't even know a quarter of the horrible things that I've done. They're all way worse than this. Like, why am I angry at this guy? You mean like I'm getting what I deserve kind of a thing. And I think that's, that's the humble mindset we should come at all things in life. Not to yeah. say, and I have to make this clarification now, not to say that you should sit through abuse, whether verbal, emotional, or physical, because you deserve it. But, but to not take criticism in a way that it, it, it's not allowed of you're too good for criticism. How dare somebody tell you that you've done something wrong? Or how dare somebody like mishandle the way that they should tell, tell you that you've done something wrong? That my goodness, if they, if they knew all the things that you've done, you know, that would be, that, that should totally change your mindset on things. Now I definitely, and I, now, now I'm kind of getting myself into a hole because I said, I you know, wanted to make sure I didn't, I wanted to make sure I clarified those two things that you definitely, if you are a Christian um, or not a Christian even, that you need to have a respect for not allowing people to do evil things to you. Because the loving thing to do is to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. And don't, I'm not, I'm not going to let you treat me that way because you're treating me it wrong. But, uh, but wisdom says when somebody does handle a situation poorly and yells at you, and criticizes you wisdom says if there's truth to this i'm still going to take the truth and i still should be able to take the truth out of this and and uh not throw away a criticism because they were angry but yeah now we now we've gotten onto a rabbit trail but i felt like i needed to qualify that because that's definitely something i had to learn recently and i talked about that on the january 1st um episode of just not letting yourself get pushed around. The loving thing to do is to call people out on their sin, is to not let people treat you poorly um, because a good Christian friend does not let their, their friend sin against them. Anyway, yeah. so. Any other thoughts on repentance, Carly? Yeah. Not really. It's a fun sign. I love I love the sign. For oh, yeah. <laughs> Should do it again. Do it again for, for all the very nice very nice yeah it's yeah. fun this right <laughs> that hmm? so it's just like you cross yeah. your fingers really hard and then just like yeah because really this, this is an r yeah <laughs> <laughs> i really hope repentance works no oh my god no, no i'm kidding no, i'm kidding that's an no r. because it's that's that's one of the um that it, it helps me remember the definition because like doing the same thing with x's is change and so mm -hmm. it's like changing but different but with an r yeah <laughs> exactly cool so the next little uh the next point in the uh, ordo salutis um is justification so that's a big old word what does that mean i read a whole book on that yeah yeah carly <laughs> but it was what, a while ago <laughs> yeah do you have a a, a a definition for us what is what is justification um, justification, 
I gotta make sure I word this right because uh, it's very easy to like word it wrong and then make it something mm-hmm, else mm-hmm. um it's when it's the actual act from god of taking your sin away from you and giving you his righteousness absolutely yeah yeah and how is so, that done through christ's sacrifice yeah <laughs> perfect i have the wikipedia page of justification <laughs> open right now and the actual right. like definition it gives right here is basically is what you just said justification right, that's what i was gonna say i'm impressed that that wikipedia <laughs> has this correctly no exactly most yeah. churches don't have this correctly i'm impressed that i had it correctly <laughs> no yeah it was great right? justification is god's act of removing the guilt and penalty of sin while at the yeah. same time making a sinner righteous through christ's atoning sacrifice read the god who justifies by james white yes good. and then you'll you'll understand it better yeah 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 so i recommend it so so when we preach the gospel to somebody we we skip the first four parts of of Wait, who has my my god who justifies book who did we give that to oh morgan morgan Chittle. oh morgan Chittle has it okay yeah i just have the flat cover <laughs> you just have the sleeve yeah that's my Wait, book but yeah it's, I was about to say, did you loan that to us? <laughs> yeah. it's carly's book yeah <laughs> and we loaned it to Morgan. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and and I told her that too. I was like, "This isn't even our book. This is Carly's book." And <laughs> so she she's was, seeing she all honored. of my highlights. Uh huh. Yes. <laughs> she was like, "Oh, that's awesome." But no. So when we preach the gospel to somebody, <laughs> we don't have to explain predestination to them. We don't have to explain election or calling or regeneration, um, unless that comes up. What we do is we say, "God has commanded you to have faith in Him, in Jesus Christ, and in Jesus Christ alone." and repent of your sins and then he will justify you Mm -hmm. and and uh it's it's a free gift because faith and repentance are not your qualifying work in order to receive justification those things are a gift from god faith is a gift from god repentance is a gift from god so that's why it's a free gift that he gives to you and so that's that's why we say those types of things that's why Though, I think it's really hard to preach the gospel to people sometimes because everybody has a different definition of every single one of these words. And so you really have to use like physical analogies, earthly analogies to explain what you mean by these words, because then it makes a lot more sense to people. And so for justification, what Ray Comfort does is he says, if you were in a court of law, you know, you're guilty. There has to be a penalty. There has to be a payment for sin. So repentance can't save you. Like if you say, I'm really sorry and I won't do it again, the judge will say, of course you should be really sorry. And of course you shouldn't do it again, but I'm I'm still going to punish you because there has to be a payment for your sin. There has to be a payment for what you've done. And so justification is only possible even if somebody repents because Jesus Christ paid the, the, the fine, paid the penalty for sin. And so what he says is you're in a court of law and, and, uh, you know, if you're guilty in a court of law, the judge can let you go if the fine is paid. He can say, um, blank, is as uh, you've, you're guilty, but someone's paid your fine, so you're out of here. And so that's that's what he says. It just just very short two sentences of just being like, yeah, like that's justification. That's what Christ has done for you is he's paid the penalty for that sin, and that's why it works. And and that's and that's what faith means is you're having faith not in your own righteousness but in the finished work of christ and that's why going back to repentance again it's so important to understand 
that you're a horrible human being because or else there's no need for Jesus in your life. There's no reason for his, his atoning sacrifice on the cross. So understanding, oh yeah, I'm a sinner. I've done horrible, horrible things and Jesus Christ paid my fine. That's why you can freely say, oh yeah, I'm a horrible human being. Let me tell you what I've done in my life, but I've been saved by grace. I've been saved by Jesus Christ because he paid the price for sin, not me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think one of the key verses for this is first John one, nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that a sufficient explanation of justification? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sorry. A thing a thing came up that I was looking at. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, the only thing, the, the thing that I usually talk about when I we talk about justification, because I think we've been going uh, through the order of salvation like a million times at, in my freshman Bible study <laughs> that I lead. Um, because we, it keeps coming up like the order of salvation and how this all fits together. Uh, cause we're going through the book of John. And so I just keep doing it over and over again, hoping that one of these days they'll actually remember the order of salvation, <laughs> but of course they never do. Um, but the thing I use to explain justification is the idea of a bank account. Um, right. So you have yeah. us as sinners, we have negative infinity amount of debt, right? So we just have negative infinity dollars in our bank account. So we're, we're, we're in an incredible amount of debt that we could never possibly pay back. Um, and what God does is he takes that debt, puts it on Christ, right? So now our bank account is at zero, but it doesn't stop there because Jesus, uh, besides his passive obedience in taking our sin and dying for us, he also has an active obedience in which he lived a perfect life, um, 33 years on earth, never sinned, always obeyed the law of God. And so instead of our bank account just going to zero as the, um, uh, the most other schemes of salvation, specifically the Roman Catholic scheme of salvation, more or less posits is like, okay, our bank account is at zero, but now we got to work to like build up righteousness in our sanctification. And then we can earn our salvation from there. Um, Instead, the uh, reformed view of, of, of salvation the, in, in what we believe is scriptural is um, God gives us Jesus's righteousness through that through that uh, sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. Through that, And so instead of our bank account going to zero, it actually goes to positive infinity because we have Christ's good works added to our account. Where before we just had a bunch of sin, which was a negative bank, bank uh, ne- negative balance. Now we have a, an infinite, 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 positive balance because of christ's righteousness being added to our accounts and that's all throughout the book of romans that's the 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 case that paul is building throughout the entire um book right so as solos as succinctly puts it um to speak of the gospel of god is to speak of the righteousness of god and the unrighteousness of man right so we have to um deal with our sin you know, right. Our, our sin has to be dealt with. God does that on the, uh, Jesus does that on the cross, but also because of his perfect life, God's righteousness is applied to us. And so the righteousness that we have, right. All of these good works that we're doing aren't ultimately 
ours, right? We, we are doing the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Um, we're walking in the righteousness that has already been provided for us. And that's why our salvation is secure, right? So we aren't, we aren't, um, uh, trying to earn it or trying to keep it by like walking in step with God, a true follower of Christ will automatically do that. It doesn't mean they'll do it perfectly, but you know, in, in God's own will, he'll, he'll, uh, sanctify us, um, in a, through that process throughout our lives, but we will produce good works and good fruit because of the justification that has been applied to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that righteousness has been applied to our, our lives. And so we will obviously live out that righteousness um, and conform more fully to that righteousness that's been given to us throughout our lives as God continues to conform us to Christ's image. So. The idea is when, when the, the bank account is, is you have a debt that needs to be paid and it goes to zero, that's God's mercy, right? That he paid for your sin. Grace comes in and says, not only am I paying for your sin, but I'm giving you my righteousness so that you're worthy of heaven. And I think that's the idea is uh, Matthew 5.20, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses, and the word there in the Greek is like greatly surpasses, that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So basically to say, if you were not like following the law, like way better than all of these people are, you know, you're not going to make it to heaven. And I, that's, that's the picture we have to understand is every time we sin, we're storing up wrath against God. Um, and Jesus paid for sin on the cross for all those who would believe. And that's very important to understand. And, but, but otherwise it would just stop there and God's wrath would be satisfied, but we would not go to this next part of the, the gospel adoption and say, but now you have this gift of eternal life you're now back in communion with me. You're now being granted this kingdom that I've prepared. Um, and I'm still preparing for you. Uh, so, so that's, that's the idea is we have to. Um, and that was something that we, that when we went out and on the whitewater whiteboard and uh, put does heaven exist, that was, that was the thing that I coming, that was coming back to in my head of like, okay, like, you know, it's, it's mercy that keeps you from hell, but it's, it's grace that gives you heaven. And, and they were just like, you know, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm going to heaven. Like, like why, like what, what did you do to deserve heaven? Like, what did you deserve or what did you do to deserve that great gift? Like, what could you possibly have done to, to inherit such an amazing thing? And that's what we have to get people back to. And then we take them even further and say, look at all these evil things that you've done. You deserve hell. And that's how we have to do it when we preach the gospel to people that think that they're good. But anyway, so adoption. Yeah, I guess that's the next one. So after we've been, right, so a part of this justification, so we have this legal justification that's done where yeah. um, we are declared righteous before God, but unlike just being a, a righteous servant of God, God goes even further than that in his infinite love and grace and mercy and provides uh, a way for us to legally become adopted into his family, right? So um, this honestly is is direct directly talked about in the parable of the prodigal son, right? So the prodigal son comes to the father in repentance, um, and he says, right, like, you know, please, father, just take me in as a servant, right? Like, I will, I will, I will come in as a servant, and I will, work, I will work for you. I know I've done wrong, and I don't deserve to be your child. 
but rather what what happens right is the father accepts the the son uh, as an actual son gives him a ring gives him a robe has a feast for him um and that's what christ does for us right we are we are orphan children in sin and uh and god adopts us into his family um instead of just making us righteous servants which he could do right and just make us like these righteous servants who don't have this intimate relationship with the father but you know are still saved um and instead god goes even one step further and, and provides for an adoption uh for us which which has a couple of effects right so not only do we have this intimate relationship with the father now where before we were cut off from the father um and and the father was our judge right like and and, and this was going to be a, a judgment from the father um now we are adopted into his family and, and he treats us as sons and daughters um but that comes with more perks than just like you would assume a normal uh well it comes with all of the perks you would assume um given given the cultural context of that day a son relationship would uh, come with and that includes inheritance and that's that's one of the main parts of this whole adoption thing that happens here is we get to inherit yeah. the same things that christ does right so a couple, a couple of important things to remember here, right? God, the Father, is our Father in this process of salvation now. Um, Jesus is not our Father, right? Because there, there's a, a trinity of, of uh, in, in, the, in the Godhead, right? Um, Jesus is not our Father. He is our Savior, but he is not our Father, right? In the same way that Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of the Father, uh, eternally begotten of the Father, we as his new children, his adopted children are also sons and daughters, um, uh, particularly sons in this scheme, right? Even if you are a female, the, the, the important thing to remember here, um, of, of how inheritance worked, how, how, um, the biblical family worked is the sons would inherit the inheritance of the father, right? All the father's things um and so we are all considered sons in that sense in that we are heirs of the same inheritance that christ gets right so we are equal sons with with the the son in that way that doesn't mean that we are um lords equal with jesus right because jesus is obviously the ultimate king um mm -hmm. but it does mean that we get to rule with jesus and so for uh, one thing i i get really excited about when we talk about adoption is um for us as so you know spoiler alert all three of us are post-millennial in, in our eschatological eschatological leanings and so this has a couple of other meanings uh if you, if you really look at what this in uh inheritance is talking about right so if we go back to abraham we go back to the inheritance that was going to be provided from abraham to uh, his descendants, right, to the people of Israel. It was the promised land, right? This was the promised inheritance um, uh, given to the people of Israel by God, right? This is your inheritance. This is what I'm giving you um, as my children, right? And so this is your inheritance. You had this promised land. This is yours. You are this, this authority is delegated to you. You rule in Israel under my authority, so on and so forth. So what has happened in the transition between the old covenant to the new covenant is that promised land that promised inheritance has been expanded out right so it's not just the promised land now it's the entire planet is our inheritance from the father to christ and then th through christ to us and so there's a couple of important things to bring out here if you're, if you're asking like what in the world is he talking about like what is going on um uh the first place to go here is the great commission 
right? So we, we look at, at the Great Commission and what, what Jesus says to his disciples as he is uh, ascending. Um, and it's particularly ascending to be at the right hand of the Father, right? Ruling at, at his right hand. Um, and it says, um, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does all mean in the Greek? You guys know? All, all. It means all. it means everything, <laughs> right? That's that's something Jeff Durbin likes to like to yeah. likes to say, um, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is this is a past tense, right? This is this is two thousand years ago, past tense. Jesus, right now, then, and for mm-hmm. two thousand years, has had all authority in heaven and on earth, yep. right? And then because of that, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That doesn't just mean people in the nations. It means the nations themselves, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, right? So um, not only uh, do we get this inheritance of, uh, you know, the blessings of of God and and this adoption of sons, but we also get an inheritance uh, of this not of the authority itself necessarily, though we we do you know rule under God, um in in one sense um in in various places you can find find that, um but uh, we we are given an inheritance of the world right so the world is our inheritance and just like Adam was commanded to have dominion over the world we are also still commanded to have dominion over the world under Christ as 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 has been been established because of the great commission right so we're supposed to go into all the world and win it for jesus right mm-hmm. so we're gonna take control of the world but not as like military conquests uh you know military leaders but rather as people more than conquerors um right we 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 conquer with the gospel um and as each as the gospel continues to go out to more and more places um more and more of the earth is put under the subjection and dominion of christ and that is our inheritance, right? This this new land that has been gospelified, mm-hmm. right? And and has become uh, uh, part of our inheritance uh, because of what the Father gave to the Son. So one of the things I pointed out to my freshmen in on our uh, small group is, um, and this is this was it was really cool to see the light bulbs go off in their heads when I talked to them about this because. Um, we were talking about this idea of of uh, Christ being the heir of all things, um, right? So it says, um, I'm trying to find the specific verse here. Um, it says in, right, so just, just to, to point out some of the things we've been saying, right? Galatians 4, 7 says, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God, right? Heir of salvation, but also an heir to, um, to everything that Jesus has. Um, and so it says in... Let's see here of all things. Uh, I guess Hebrews one two. Mm-hmm. Um, let me let me find this. Um, yeah. right. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Right. So this is something that is that has been given to God uh, to Jesus by the Father. And so the important thing to remember here, and the the thing that was so cool to see the light bulbs go off in the head of my students is we were talking about what this means, right? Like, of, of, of this idea of dominion, this idea of um, being the heir of the world um, through Christ. And we talked about, right, this this idea that, okay, so Adam had dominion over the world, given to him by God, delegated to him by God um, in the garden, right? So he was like, okay, here here's the garden. You, this, is, this is your place. And if you, it was insinuated that if you beautify the garden, if you build the garden up into something even more beautiful than it was before, 
then the rest of the world is also out there for you to do the same thing with, right? Start in the garden and then move outward. Um, and so the issue, right, that happened was Satan tempted Adam and Eve to, to sin and then they sinned. And so God, you know, they forfeited that dominion. And so God gave that dominion over to who? Do you guys know? I'm sorry. I was not paying attention. Say it again. <laughs> I was I was reading something on no, this page. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, when Adam and Eve sinned and they forfeited dominion of the earth, who did the dominion go to? Just as like, oh, Satan. Yeah, Satan. Right. Oh, yeah. And so I was I was working through this with the, with the kids and we were talking through this. Um, and so right, like Satan had de facto dominion over the earth, right? Because now he, he's he's referred to in scripture as the prince in the power of the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for most of human history, Satan had been the person in charge of the earth but what happened was jesus came back right you know the son of god came to earth uh, i guess he didn't come back but you know god came back to reclaim what was his um it through through jesus and jesus won back the, the the world right so he he defeated death defeated satan won back the world um from satan became the heir of all things right because of this because of being the, the 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 last Adam and doing what Adam couldn't do, right? So he he kept the whole law and he died for sin. Then God gave him dominion of the world, right? So it's like, okay, if, if Adam had been able to do this, then he would continue to have dominion over the world and humanity yeah. as a result, right? But because Jesus lived that perfect life, he earned the right to become the heir of all things, right? He earned that inheritance from God, the Father. And so the world now belongs to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now that's really important because... Um, that means Satan is not in charge of the world now. Yep. And so when we were, t- I was talking to my kids, this was the moment that th- this light bulb went off in their heads and they started realizing that a bunch of things started making sense to them. So when Satan came to Jesus and said, if you worship me, I will give you dominion over all the world. That was not a, a, um, an empty promise by by satan right he actually had dominion of the world he could have given it to jesus because it had been delegated to him right by god but jesus right was like okay no i'm not going to do that not only because like that's you know it's it's it would be sin um right because you you know to worship anyone but god but also because that was the point uh that was why he came but he had to do it in the way that god commanded him to and so the thing that I pointed out to the students and they were like, oh man, what is like the only way that was a real temptation for Jesus is if that was part of the whole shtick, right? Because Jesus is looking at this whole situation and saying, all right, Satan is offering me the world. That's what I came to get. Right. This is a real temptation because that's part of the plan that he had come to do in the first place. And so it was a real, it was a shortcut for him, right? If Jesus had come simply to provide everyone a way to escape the earth, right? Then why would Jesus even have cared, right? Why would that, it wouldn't have been a real temptation. It wouldn't have been a real whatever, right? But because Satan actually had dominion and Jesus was going to win that dominion back from him, that puts that encounter in such a new light. And it, and it, it, it really uh, explains a lot of what was going on and, and really expounds the rest of scripture in a way that just isn't possible when the earth is just a place that we kind of forget about and then ignore. Um, For right, God but, so loved the world. World. Yeah, the cosmos. The only begotten son. Yeah. Yep. Right? Um, Jesus, so, Jesus is the king of the world and he's going to win back the world. Right. And that, yeah, that was his goal. That was his goal is to buy himself a people and to take back the world. And that's really important. Um, but yeah, the, the whole book of Hebrews talks a lot about 
um, the inheritance of his people mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, being fellow heirs with God and him being the firstborn among uh, many brothers, among yeah. many brothers. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Hebrews was... nine. Sorry, go ahead. I, I was just about to say another thing from Hebrews, but th- that's not from nine. So you go first. <laughs> okay. Is it after nine? No, it's before nine. Well, then go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hebrews two, 11 through 13. Um, for he who sanctifies and for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers saying, I will tell, mm-hmm. tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Right. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's the idea that's presented in Hebrews one and especially there in Hebrews two. Um, and well, I guess you could say that in Hebrews one, it's saying Jesus owns everything and he's better than the angels and god has given him everything Mm -hmm. and then in hebrews 2 it's like and he is sharing this with us yeah and uh so then hebrews 9 and and obviously i would recommend a full reading of hebrews after this but uh hebrews 9 15 for this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant talking about jesus for this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant those who have been called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance for where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it talking about inheritance. You don't get an inheritance unless the person who owns it dies Mm -hmm. for a covenant Mm -hmm. is valid only when men are dead for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant, which God had commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So even in the Old Testament, it was you're receiving um, you're receiving something because of the shedding of blood, and there cannot be um, the uh, with without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. And so, but that's that's the key is in the Old Covenant, um, they would sacrifice lambs and stuff like that to to satisfy God's wrath, but they didn't get grace. Mm-hmm. And so it was to satisfy God's wrath temporarily until they died mm-hmm. and then they would go to hell. And that's, that's the idea is, is they were temporarily satisfying God's wrath but in order for God to take away all sin and to give us his righteousness, to give mm-hmm. us heaven. We had to earn that. Or since we can't earn that mm-hmm. Jesus Christ gave us his righteousness. So, so that's the idea. And then, the only way we can have um, the inheritance is if there was a death and now we can inherit that. And so because Jesus died and then rose again, now we have the inheritance of salvation. So I, I thought that was really cool. And so, so yeah, that's the important distinction between um, mercy, which would not be adoption and grace which means that we are now adopted into his family mm-hmm. because god loves us so much as his yeah. chosen people right so just having justification right would be just mercy right so right. like not giving us something 
that we deserve. Um, but then this adoption goes beyond that and gives us something that we don't deserve, which is, right. I mean, not only not only do we get that justification right, by getting Christ's righteousness, right. but also we get this adoption as sons, which is like an undeserved gift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, but, but then we also look at regeneration, faith, and repentance also as gifts that we don't reserve, deserve, yeah. right? Yes. So. Yeah. And I, and I would say justification and adoption are pretty much the same thing. There's yeah, they're just different parts of different parts of the legal procedure that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So yeah, so then, so that, okay, so here's, here's the main thing, and to, to segue into sanctification, so as long as nobody else has anything to say. Okay, so, going once, going twice, no. Uh, so for sanctification, what we have to understand is there's no such thing, and we were talking about before with repentance, is there's no such thing as a safety net Christian. Nobody gets saved, nobody gets adopted into God's family, and then isn't changed. I think that's why sanctification is such an important um, evidence, right? In, in uh, Matthew 7, 16, you will know them by their fruit. Sanctification is the proof that somebody has been changed by God himself. And that's why we see sanctification is because they have the Holy Spirit. They've, in a very real sense, experienced God, experienced his forgiveness, experienced his um, redemption, his gift, his grace. And so they are changed by God. And that means there's going to be a process of sanctification. It means they're going to be, for lack of a, uh, uh, well, I should say, just for a a non-specific term, an improvement, right? That person is going to be improved by God, by through the working of the Holy Spirit, they're going to, you're going to see improvement in their life. And so that's why in um, evangelism, we don't have this weird follow-up thing to make sure that somebody is, is doing all the things they need to be doing, because if they're truly saved, there will be sanctification. And that's the, um, that's what you're going to see in someone's life if they're truly saved. So there's no need for a quote unquote follow-up because if they're truly saved, God will keep them saved and God will continue to work on them. Um, I think one of the most important texts for this is Philippians 1.6. And I might just quote it if I can't find it real fast. Okay, I got it. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So that is um, a very essential part of salvation is if god truly saves someone there is a change in that person's life and if somebody doesn't believe in the doctrine of sanctification that there is such a thing as safety net christians that you know they don't do anything they're just saved because god is good that wouldn't be a good thing that wouldn't be a good thing at all what you're doing is you're lowering your view of god you're lowering your view of salvation and instead of it being a second corinthians 5 17 they are a new creation in Christ Jesus, the oldest past and the new has come. Instead, it's just this thing of, oh, well, they're, they're just saved. They're, they're, they're just, I mean, they don't have to be good, right? They're just, they're just saved and then everything's fine. Um, and uh, Paul Washer puts it like this, that if somebody, if somebody got hit by a bus I was going to bring that up, but oh, really? <laughs> I'm glad you <Awesome>. did. <laughs> yeah. If somebody was hit by a bus, 
you'd think that there would be some, you know, evidence mm-hmm. for this. And if there isn't, he's either a liar or he's crazy, right? So if somebody truly got hit by a bus, you'd be like, oh, look, you can tell that he got hit by a bus because he's dead. Now, if you take God, how much more powerful is God mm-hmm. than being hit by a bus? How, how, how low of a view of, do you have to think about God in order to say this person is saved, even though there's no evidence of a, of a change in their heart and their mind and their actions. And that's where the process of sanctification comes. If you have all of these things predestined before the foundation of the world, election, you didn't choose me. I chose you a calling an effectual calling a regeneration of the Holy spirit a faith that is granted to you, a repentance that is is, um, instilled by the Holy Spirit. You are justified. Jesus Christ paid your your fine and gives you his 33 years of perfect law-keeping righteousness and grants that to you and then adopts you into his family, this great, amazing concept that we're talking about. And then somebody goes and lives their life like that's never happened. That's not the gospel. That's not Mm -hmm. salvation sanctification is an outward sign of what has happened inwardly and uh john lucas i think puts this very cleverly in his song um clearing stones and which is there's a really cool um lyrical video of this mm-hmm. if somebody wanted to look it up it's yeah, really it. cool um i'll put it in chat yeah and and so yeah i just really recommend like listening to this song but one of the lines in there um and they're talking and i'll just i'll just kind of read a little bit more than i was planning on so um grace was enough and grace is enough and grace always will be more than enough to change an old man young and an ankle deep stream to a sea grace can't be bought and grace can't be sold not for the wages of a thousand days Grace is the gift of a king who longs for his children to see they're not slaves. And grace gets deeper the more you trust that the king is good and the king is just and that naked forgiveness is stronger than the grave. And sometimes grace takes clearing stones with a weary heart and aching bones to prove to that new child it was worth it all. To say salvation is this great, amazing thing. And if there wasn't a process of sanctification, if there wasn't a, a uh, and if you go to like Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? For by grace you have been saved. This is not of your own works, mm-hmm. lest anyone should boast. This is a gift of God. And then to say, for we are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we are saved um, from God, by God, through God, and for God. There is a reason that he saves us. And, and what, what that lyric is getting at there is that God is, is amazing and this naked forgiveness is stronger than the grave. But you're going to then produce works because to show you, to show you that God did not make a mistake in saving you, that he is going to use you to do something with your life. And it's not just this, this random gift. It's, no, of course I love you. And of course you don't deserve this. Of course you don't deserve my love. In fact, you deserve every ounce of my wrath. But because Jesus paid the price, he has bought you. And now me as the sovereign Lord of your life, me as the dad, 
I'm going to use you for my purposes to show you that I did this for a reason. And I think, I think that's, that's the process of sanctification. Mm-hmm. Right. Just as you know, in terms of like the etymology and stuff, right. So sanctification is the act of being sanctified. So becoming more holy, right. Yeah. Becoming ultimately more like God. Um, yeah. Right. So Conform I mentioned this in, in yeah, exactly. Right. So I mentioned in justification um, that we've been given God's righteousness, right? Which we stand before God justified and then having Christ's righteousness, but we'll continue to display that more and more throughout our lives as we are more conformed to that righteousness. And so we'll, we'll display those acts um, uh, and, and become more and more like Christ, look more and more like Christ, act more and more like Christ as we walk in, in our lives. Um, yeah. You have any thoughts, Carly? No, sanctification's real and it's great. <laughs> yeah. What's that? It's real and it's great. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. So to to go to the verse that you you mentioned then, uh, Romans eight twenty nine, which we talked yeah. about in predestination for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And 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 put this. In, oh, I, actually, I should have just read verse twenty eight. To put this in context, mm -hmm. and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So once again, going back to the adoption part as well. But that idea there is, is to all things work together for good to those who love God. What's the good? What's the good that he's talking about? Is it your definition of good? Like what, what is the good that we're talking about? It's to be conformed to the image of his son. That's, that's the good thing that happens to Christians. Mm -hmm. um, this is another one of the reasons that um, it ties into this idea of um, you know, the post-millennial hope and, and the fact that we're supposed to be evangelizing and all this stuff, right? This is all part of, of this process too, um, because not only are we being sanctified inwardly, right? in the idea that we're becoming more and more like Christ in the way that we like believe and act and think, um, but also that, that, that is being done outward, um, right? We're, we're fulfilling the great commission. We're doing what, what Christ demanded of us in terms of, um, glorifying God in discipleship and, evangelism obviously and then in um in teaching uh people to obey god's commands um and so right like this is one of the reasons that um god when he saves someone doesn't just like take them to heaven right it's because we have a mission to do right and so part of our sanctification is this continued um pursuing of the good works that it says in ephesians 2 10 that god prepared in advance for us to do right that we could walk in them um and uh and and do that which god prepared for us on earth and 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 follow that that uh that will he has for our lives now obviously we don't, we don't know what that is but as long as we're acting according to the prescriptive will of god right in that we're following his commands um you know being faithful to the the good things that he has called us to do and, and staying away from sin um then we're doing you know god's will in that sense um because you know God's decree will happen whether we 
act against it or not. But there's nothing we can do to, to change that. So our, 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 our job, right, is to read scripture, find out what it means to be a Christian and, and how to live as a Christian and then do that. Um, and that includes the Great Commission. That includes, um, right, continuing to to spread the gospel and and conforming every area of of life to to um, the gospel and, and and God's commands, um, in in your own personal life and then your family and then your church and then your community outward um, and beyond that. Um, so yeah, all part of that continued process of sanctification through which. God uses, um, right, that the good works that we do on, on earth that God uses to provide the gospel, to provide the means of grace to people, um, and to win the world, right? So, we good with that then? Yeah. Cool. Uh, so, the next one on this list is perseverance, right? So, this idea of um, the sanctification will continue um, indefinitely, right? Like, not indefinitely, but like, without without inevitably i guess is the word i was looking for right so there's you can't if you're truly in christ um you will persevere to the end as as there are so many verses that talk about this um and i'm sure we'll we'll run through a couple of them obviously we have um uh romans 8 um that talks about um oh wow we didn't even go through romans 8 when we talked about heirs with christ Um, real quick i'm going to read that passage uh, in verse 12 of chapter 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. Right, so that's that's happening there. And then um, we see this um, this uh, perseverance um, specifically in, in verse 30. Obviously, we have the golden chain of redemption, which you've already talked about Um Right. So uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Right. So that's going to happen. Right. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So that sanctification After is predestined. After each of those words, it says also, which means that all of these people are going through all of this, all parts of these yeah. process. <laughs> yeah. There's no disconnect. It's the same category of people yeah. going through the same process. Um, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then it says in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things, right? So Paul is like, okay, if this is true, then what can we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Mm-hmm. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he? how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. 
In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, not even the powers family? Yeah, I, I would <laughs> think that basically covers about everything, right? So when God says nothing will separate the people who have undergone this process, right, who have been foreknown and who have been predestined and who are going to be called and justified and glorified, nothing will separate them from God's love. I don't know about you, but I think falling away from the faith would be being separated from God's love. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and it says, right, um, nor anything else in all creation, right? So nothing on this list and anything beyond that list, right? Because the only thing not in all, cre in all creation is God. And he's, he's the one doing this, right? So he wouldn't relent on that. Um, he, you know, Paul is saying he is, has for, forever and forever placed his love on his people and it will not be taken away. Um, and so we will persevere into the end because God is keeping us in that perseverance. He won't let us fall away. So, yeah, the idea that uh, he's not going to let you fall away. You cannot lose your salvation. First John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were really not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out. So that I would be shown that they are all, so that they, I'm sorry, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody leaves the faith, and what that means is that they were truly saved. Uh, that like that. Okay, now I'm just being confusing. All right. <laughs> so if somebody is truly of the faith, they're not going to leave. If you think somebody is truly of the faith and they leave, then they were never of the faith to begin with. That's what this is trying to teach us. Or, um, or they will come back. Yes. Right. Or, or they they may be like. Um, it, it may be possible that they were never in Christ, but they will come back to, you know, they will come back to and actually be reconciled with Christ um, because God doesn't lose anyone. Right. Or they may be, um, you know, falling away temporarily in terms of like, um, you know, uh, sinning and, and going to that sin. But, you know, if 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 they are truly in, in Christ, they will be drawn back by the father. Um, right. and, and by the Holy spirit and, and they'll come back to, right. Cause, um, I think one thing to point out here that, that's, that goes along with this, right. Is this idea is church discipline, um, is yes. that, that's ultimately what that's for is if someone is acting in unrepentance, um, then they're supposed to be excommunicated from the church, not because the church is, is proclaiming whether or not they are truly elect, but rather they are saying you are not acting as if you are an elect, uh, a person who is of the elect. And so we will treat you as such, hoping that through the preaching of the gospel to you now as an, as a person, we assuming are unsaved, you will either come back to the faith, right? Repent of, of your, of your uh, sin and then come back, or you will finally actually be reconciled. Mm -hmm. Going back to Hebrews 12, one through two, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, Paul Washer puts it, there's a very real sense in which God's reputation hangs upon his people. Hmm. And in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we are ambassadors of Christ. If, if God says, nothing will ever separate me from my people, and yet your will to resist God is so strong that you can willingly resist the call of God. That is to say that your will is above God's and God will not let that happen because God is God. He's not going to be um, fooled or duped by, by a person. If they are truly saved, they will continue in the faith. Hebrews six makes mention of uh, something that I feel like we should address. Um, there is a distinction that uh, Hebrews 6 makes of the peril of falling away. And this is not mm-hmm. to say that those who are saved, who have been justified and adopted into his kingdom, will fall away. That's not what this is saying at all. It mm-hmm. says, for in the case of those, this is verse 4 in Hebrews 6, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. So what this is saying is, you know, Jesus is not going to pay for sin twice. And in other other places in Hebrews, it talks about that. he, He died for sin once for all, right? That he's not going to do it again. That um, he died once and like the priests in the Old Testament, they would pay for sin every year. They would have a ritual every year. And Jesus has no need of that since he was so awesome that his payment was sufficient to pay for sin for all time. Um, So and then and then put him to open shame, right, to then say that, you know, he has to die again. For ground that drinks the rain, so verse 7, for ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation, useful to those for whose sake is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, Mm -hmm. though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name and having ministered and, in, and, and still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise, the promises. So what this is saying, so back up to verse four, that somebody could be enlightened by the truth, taste the heavenly gift, not, not um, like obviously have the heavenly gift or experience the heavenly gift. Being exposed to it. Right. And, and having the hope of, of eternal life of, hey, you know, um, like this is what heaven is like, but that's not their hope. And have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit like Judas was. Judas had the power to cast out demons, and yet he was not saved. Um, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. So even saying stuff like maybe they performed miracles because that's what this um, what was happening in the time that this was written. There were still um, miracles being performed by apostles and stuff like that. Um, 
and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Okay, so so what what they're saying there is there is such a thing as repentance that is not salvific. Mm-hmm. That uh, in Second Corinthians seven nine and ten it says there is a, a worldly sorrow that produces death, and a godly sorrow that leads to repentance that leads to to godly repentance that leads to salvation. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the differentiation that you have to make with Hebrews six is in terms of the preservation of the saints. God will keep his people saved. And if somebody seems to be saved and then falls away, first John two nineteen says that they were never saved to begin with, that they, they could have um, wanted to escape from the consequences of their sin, right? Like we were talking about before with a worldly repentance, but yet they did not want Christ. They did not truly want God. They did not come to God on his terms. They did not have faith. They did not have the Holy Spirit being sealed with the Holy Spirit, not just being a partaker of the Holy Spirit. So so that's the differentiation we make um, because everywhere else is clear. Hebrews 6 seems to be unclear. You're not really sure what it means. And so you use the other parts of the Bible to then interpret what the unclear things mean. You use the clear to interpret the unclear. And you always use the Bible and the Bible alone to interpret these things. Yeah, I had a person recently on on Twitter. Uh, I guess it was Todd Friel who who tweeted, um, basically like if you were, if if someone like you know leaves the faith, they were never saved to begin with. Something along those lines. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone retweeted it and said, um, well, you know, tell that to the writer of Hebrews. And then right. I I responded <laughs> now and I said, uh yeah let's use one unclear passage to interpret all of the actual <laughs> the like really clear passages that's how hermeneutics works right um and that's right it's the exact opposite of what we should do the only place in all of scripture that even hints at the fact that you could lose your salvation the you know as the, you know, an elected person of god is hebrews, hebrews 6. 6 4 right yep. the only place and then when you read it in its proper context and you get the wealth of scripture elsewhere, it's very clear that it's meaning something else. Um, yeah, and just you just look down in verse 7 and 8 talking about yielding fruit and yielding thorns and thistles. That's what God talked about of, exactly. of false converts. The bad tree won't bear good fruit. Exactly. Right. He doesn't say that the bad tree will bear good fruit for a while and then bear mm-hmm. bad fruit. No, right. like you are, there's a fundamental mm-hmm. difference between a saved person and an unsaved person. And there is absolutely no crossover in any part of scripture between those two categories. Jesus is always clear in the gospels when he talks about the sheep, the sheep versus the goats or the, you know, the bad trees versus the good trees, the old wineskins versus the new wineskins, all of the various uh, allegories and, and metaphors that he uses to explain these things, there's no crossover. You don't become, um, you don't go back and forth between those two. You are either this one thing or you are this other thing. And and obviously there's like um, a transformation between the old person and the new person. Um, but that's I, I a different the, thing. Yeah, I think of the analogy with the, uh, the good tree and the bad tree. And there, the tree was always good. The tree was always going to produce good fruit and it never um, went against that, but it just, it wasn't time. It wasn't its season yet to produce fruit. 
Yeah. And that's how God mm-hmm. sees salvation because he has predestined everybody because he has elected mm-hmm. everybody before the foundation of the world. Um, that's what we're talking about. Goats never turn into sheep. The sheep hear his voice. A bad tree never produces good fruit. The bad tree gets cut down and burned. The good tree will produce good fruit. And so you will know them by their fruit. If somebody, you, if somebody hears the gospel, you then wait for fruit before you clap and say, yay, they're saved. Because yeah. you wait until God proves it. Because God is in control of salvation. Mm-hmm. That, and it doesn't mean that you don't necessarily baptize someone when they've made a profession of faith right. no you do yeah you do right but it's 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 possible that baptism is not a real baptism until you actually see the works of of you know repentance and, and faith obviously you, you you would have to see some sort of repentance and faith um in a person's life before you would baptize them um mm-hmm. but it's possible that that would be an, un, uh, an untrue conversion and they would right. maybe fall away at a different yeah. time that doesn't mean that the that doesn't mean you shouldn't baptize them. You should still do right. that, but then know that it, it wasn't a, a true you know, sign yes. of, of, of that uh, faith. The reason you baptize somebody is so that they have a public proclamation of faith. Yeah. And you're and saying they're being yeah. obedient to Christ. Yeah. Yes. They're being obedient to Christ. And then the church then keeps them accountable yeah. to bearing good fruit. And that's mm-hmm. the purpose of baptism mm-hmm. in the church. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I wanted to bring up uh, too, in in terms of this analogy, right? So, uh, the analogies of salvation are are hinged on this fact, right? This this idea that you can't be, um, you can't fall away from from the faith. If you are truly in, uh, one of God's people, you will continue to be God's people. Right? There's two ways in which that happens. Obviously, we've just said the the whole like old wineskins versus the new wineskins, the bad tree versus the good tree, the sheep versus the goats. But there's also the the analogy of the old creation becoming a new creation. And even there, you see this, right? So if a person goes from being dead, completely dead, and then they, they uh, you know, are, are completely sinful and, um, you know, completely away from God, and then they go to being the complete opposite of that, right? God takes away their heart of stone, gives them a heart of flesh, the, the law is written on their hearts, they become a new person, they have a new desire, the old man is, is shaken off, that whole thing. How can that person possibly go back to the way things were um that's just not it's not something that computes in the way that god describes that process right this is god doing that thing right and so it would have to be god that would repudiate it it would have to be god who just says yeah all right i'm gonna kill you again right and, and that's not the way that we see any of these things in 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 salvation right if we just take jesus as the analogy right so we obviously have jesus who is spiritually good right and uh, and then is physically the same way that um, Adam was, right? So this idea that he could sin, it's a possibility of him sinning, but he perseveres and he doesn't because he's also God, right? And he can he can uh, resist that temptation. Um, but then his body dies, right? His, his old body, the, the body that is still very human and not glorified yet dies, but then he's raised to life and with a glorified body, right? So he has a glorified spirit and a glorified body now. Um, and we'll get to that, you know, in the next part. Um, but how how would it be possible and it says it's not right for jesus to die again right jesus is not going to die again in his glorified form Mm -hmm. and then you know that it's the the analogy just doesn't go backwards right you can't become a new person become this spiritually alive person and then go back to being spiritually dead um you've been glorified in that way right you've been you've been uh justified and sanctified um and you're 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 going through this process 
Um, and uh, it's just not, it's never referenced that someone who's actually, um, one of the remnants of, of, uh, you know, God's people, this, this, these people who are called the elect will go from being one to not being one. It's just not mentioned anywhere. It's not hinted at anywhere. Um, so it's important to keep those things in mind when you, you have to look at those clear passages that talk about the way salvation works, the way that perseverance works, the way that sanctification works, um, to interpret things that may be unclear. So two more things I want to say about, um, preservation, perseverance, what, which one? No, ruin you're thinking of. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) No, we were just going through perseverance. Perseverance. Oh, okay. Sorry. I I couldn't, for some reason I couldn't think of which one it was. Um, no. So second Peter two would be a great, um, chapter to go, just go and read, but I'm going to read just a couple of verses from it. Um, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first for it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness Mm -hmm. than having known it to turn away from the Holy commandment handed on to them. It was happened to them. I'm sorry. It has happened to them. According to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to the wallowing in the mire. This is talking about somebody who knows how to be saved who is trying to follow the commandments, but doesn't have the Holy Spirit, not sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then they go back into sin and they go back into their old ways. It's actually worse for them now because they, because they have in a sense put God to shame in the sense that they have blasphemed against God. They have claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ and then falling away. Now God is not shamed by that because he knows who his people are and they are not his people. And so that's why it does not bring God to open shame like it's described in Hebrews 6. Um, or I'm sorry, Hebrews 9, was it? What were we talking about? I think Hebrews... Yeah, I think One of the two. Anyway, regardless. So so yeah, so um, I would recommend going and reading that passage and exploring this idea. Um, but then the last thing I want to say about it is this is something Pastor John Aaron White talked about, is that reading the Bible, praying, church accountability... All of those things, all of these these things that we do as Christians is God's way of preservation of the saints. It's how he keeps us saved because he's in control of all those things through the Holy Spirit. Um, through, through the Bible, he reveals truth to us, the Holy Spirit, through prayer. Um, there are verses talking about the Holy Spirit praying on behalf of us um, and interceding with us. And then... The Holy Spirit is in all the other people at church. Well, should be, hopefully, because if they're in their church, hopefully they are actually saved. And so all of those things is the Holy Spirit keeping his people saved. And that's that's the idea is, is uh, perseverance of the saints. Um, all of the things that keep you strong in the faith, all those things where all those times when you think, what am I doing here? Like, am I, am I truly saved? Um, should I even be following this God? Is he, does he even exist? In those times of doubt, God brings things to mind in the Bible. God has people praying for you. Um, God is doing all of these different things. Um, you know, maybe somebody comes up, you know, we all pull their stories of, you know, I was on the edge of, at the ed- end of my rope. And then a Christian from my church came and just, you know, brought me cookies or something like that. And you're just like, huh, Okay, awesome. Um, you know, 
just even those little things. And then sometimes they're really big things. And that is a part of perseverance of the saints. It's not that somebody just, no matter what they do, um, God keeps them saved. Like they, they, they screw up horribly and they do all these horrible things and they don't repent of their sins and, and God just arbitrarily keeps them saved. Mm-hmm. No, because of the perseverance of the saints, they are continuing in sanctification. They're continuing yep. in righteousness. And the things that they do are proof of that God is with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, let's, let's uh, wrap up with glorification here and then I uh, get out of here. Cause I, I need to go do the insulin stuff for Stormy. So, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. So glorification is the last bit on this list. So what's glorification? Carly, what is glorification? Um, it's something that it, it's where God glorifies us. Um, <laughs> in, wow. big, um, in, in the sense that, in the sense that um, it's, it's not something that in the sense that we've, in the sense that we are in time, it's not something that's happened yet, but in God's eyes, it has happened because everything, um, everything involved in our salvation has been worked out from his point of view because he's predestined it all. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's where we are glorified with Christ. And I mean, I don't know how else to explain that. (laughs) I think, I think one of the main things to bring up is that we're still living with our sin nature. Mm -hmm. And when we are glorified, God will take away that sin nature. Specifically in, because we have a body still. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's the thing. Is so. Um, Go back though, to Romans eight. Right. We don't have a dualistic perspective on the spirit and the body. Um, they're they're both intricately tied together. You are both of those things, right? So we're not. Um, it's it's it's. Uh, we don't want to be Gnostics and say that the spirit is always good and the body's always going to be evil because um, that's not the case, um, right? God, ha- uh, Jesus, you know, God in, in the flesh had a glorified body. Um, so when he, uh, died, uh, he was raised to life by the Holy spirit and, uh, he had a glorified body. So he had a perfect body, a, a body that was still physical. He ate food. He walked around, people touched him. He was not a ghost. Um, but, uh, now he had a glorified body and so he would never die. Right. So perfect body and, and free from any effects of sin, um, the presence or the power. Um, and, uh, the final step in our application of redemption, as it were, right? This this step process of salvation is the, the 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 one thing that needs to be destroyed, right? Is is death and uh, and sin, right? So, um, it says in uh, let's see, um, let me let me find this verse real quick. Uh, it says in First Corinthians fifteen twenty five, um. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Mm-hmm. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So basically, right, we have the end of history. And um, we have the the final like consummation of, uh, of, of God's work on earth, right? So we have a, a world that has been fully gospelified. Um, and uh, the gospel is spread everywhere. And then we have um, Christ coming back to consummate 
that perfect kingdom that he has been ruling since he, he won back dominion of the world from Satan in uh, during his his uh, ministry and, and and sacrifice on earth. And then we have the great white throne judgment, right? So we have in Revelation, it says that um, everyone will stand before God and be judged for what they did, um, for the intentions of their heart, and so on and so forth. And those who have not been justified by uh, the righteousness of Christ will be thrown into the lake of fire. Um, and those who are are with Christ will have glorified, perfect bodies um, and uh, will stand justified and vindicated before God. And then will because you know their their spirits have our spirits have been renewed now right so we have our, our spirit our spirits are, are are new creations now but our bodies are still old so we still have to deal with this this presence of sin because of our bodies um when we die or when you know christ come back comes back um uh, you know at the end of history um we will that that old uh, body will be thrown off and will be resurrected in the holy spirit with a new glorified body that is free from the presence of sin um, and the last enemy to be, to be destroyed is death, right? Is important because um, that is the the last thing that could keep us from 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 Christ, right? So we, it's, it's like you know, God brings us through this whole sanctification process, but we still have to pay. You know, we still die um, because of our old bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, but God, right? Because Jesus will have the last word over death. Um, and he's defeated death on the cross, and 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 will more fully and completely defeat death at the end of history um has uh bought our eternal life and so we are raised to life with christ and uh most importantly it's not just to some sort of weird spiritual existence in the sky it's an actual physical body on an actual physical earth Mm -hmm. so we'll be on the new earth we won't be in heaven heaven is just the presence of god it's not really a real place um and so we're going to be on earth in this new earth um and uh, we'll be with God, obviously, forever. And so it will be heaven in that sense. But it will be an actual physical place. And we'll have actual physical bodies. And we'll do actual physical things. Um, like eat food. Like eat food, food. And work. And sports. And... Yeah. Yes. Right? There's there's absolutely no reason to think that we'll just be, like, floating on a cloud playing harps for all eternity. Right? So we're, we're act- there's actually going to be physical – the continued physical existence of a physical earth that will be also – completely glorified and made new right so this this new earth that's free from the the power and presence of sin um will be redeemed in a similar way um that we are redeemed and we'll get into that when we talk about eschatology obviously um uh and and i'm sure like if you really look at the world and and history as a whole thing um the world in in eschatology is redeemed in a very similar way to we as people are redeemed um and it's really cool to see when you follow that in scripture so uh right that's our glorification um the the last enemy enemy is defeated and we are glorified with christ right uh god removes all the um continued um the, all the remnants of sin that are still left um and now we live with god forever in a glorified earth in glorified bodies with a glorified savior and uh that's it there you go eternal life forever good stuff yeah so so one thing is somewhere somewhere there's this book i don't know who it's by about about heaven that i saw on a todd frio video and so i can't figure out where it is maybe we figure it out later it talks a lot about those things of just exploring the ideas of what we'll do in heaven but i but we pretty much covered most of it right there yeah um but if for some reason you can find that whoever is listening to this you know 
watching a Todd Frio video and you're like, oh, I know what he's talking about now. That'd be great. <laughs> I just don't remember. So it's kind of pointless to say. Anyway, um, I think we should just end by reading Romans 8, 12 through 25. Yeah, do it. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Um, these are sons of God. I'm sorry. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan with our, within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So look forward to heaven. Mm -hmm. And by heaven, you we mean, mean earth. The, you mean earth. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that when we talk about eschatology. But it honestly, it, it frustrates me when people just said, say, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Because it's just like... Uh, it's not really like the accurate like uh, yes but you're gonna like come back to earth with the glorified body mm -hmm. um we're not gnostics guys we're not gnostics <laughs> and we shouldn't be gnostics uh but yeah good stuff well there we go that's been our um study of soteriology this the study of salvation carly do you have any last thoughts as we kind of wrap up here any other things you want to mention before we sign off no okay uh, I always feel bad because I always feel like Connor and I uh, take up too much Talk of the too conversation. Much. Yeah, that's I mean, just... usually if I think of something to say, I find a place to say it. There you so. go. Good. <laughs> that's that's good. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, Seth Snowed has a uh, recommendation. Uh, she Waits by the Grey Havens. It's a song. Yes. Oh, okay, yes. Cool. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good. I've heard it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Carly approves this message yes okay sounds good. It's a good song yeah and I'll, I'll so i'm gonna i'm gonna post um the video the clearing stones video in in liner notes uh for this episode and then also i'll i'll make a link to she waits by the great havens too uh cool do do we have an idea of what we're doing next nope uh let me Something let me take a look at <laughs> let me take a look at the list here um the ologies Uh, let's see. We've done ecclesiology. We've done missiology. We've done epistemology. We've done soteriology. Um, we could do anthropology, Christology, 
Christology, I don't know. Christology. Yeah. <laughs> Eschatology, ethnology, hamartiology, psychology, theology, pneumatology, bibliology, doxology, patriology, teleology. <laughs> Any of those jump out? Seth, do you have a recommendation of what we should do next <laughs> from that list there? Listen to feedback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're good at that sometimes. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what some of these even mean. What is a pneumatology? Pneumatology is the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay, the study of the Holy Spirit. Ah. Uh, cool. Yeah, I'm sure we could do any of these. We could also do something else. We can we could take a short detour. Okay, so Seth says anthropology. That's a that's a good one cool. we could do. Want to talk about a biblical anthropology? Yeah. Sound good, Connor? Yeah, I'm done. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, he said found out found out how bad we are. Haha. Ha. <laughs> um, yeah. Sure. Yeah, we can we can we can handle that next. So we'll talk about a a, a proper biblical anthropology. Um, probably next week. So, uh, yeah, this week on, on this channel, obviously, we still have um, uh, Eternalius on Thursday, uh, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And uh, I believe we're st also having an episode of Anodomini this week. Um, I think that's the plan if, if everybody ends up still being free. Um, because we left on a cliffhanger last time. Connor got married. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm excited to see how that plays right, out. got married. So, yeah, y'all. Well, yeah, Oliver <laughs> got married. Yes. Um, but yeah, so obviously we still have our RPG shows this week, and then uh, we'll be back next Monday, uh, probably. Right, you're gonna be in Florida, Connor. But if we can yes. figure out how to do it for Anno Domini, obviously we can figure out how to do it for for um the Christian artist. Are you gonna try to take the mic with you? You could probably do that. It's not yeah. too big. Because yeah. yeah, video isn't as important isn't as important. But actually, it would probably be really easy to take the camera too. That's pretty yeah. small. Um, yeah, we'll just see. If Hopefully, we can I remember that. those things. I will make sure to remind you. Okay, I'll, I will do that. Uh, cool. Well, uh, there you go. That's uh, the Christian artist. Thank you for listening and commenting and watching and joining us on this uh, series on the Christian and theologies. Um, it's it's been a lot of stuff. We talked about a lot of good stuff. <laughs> And I'm really excited about uh, talking about more of this good old stuff. So we'll be back next time with Anthropology. And uh, I think that is it. You can find us on Twitter at Christ underscore art underscore show at Facebook at Facebook.com slash Christian Artist Show. And at our website at ChristianArtistShow.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we're out for